to be. Good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio and on the Zoom. We have Dr. Andy Corrin, Mendocino County's Public Health Officer. This is our Friday afternoon local coronavirus update live in studio. We will be opening up the phone lines after we get an update from Dr. Corrin about the latest from Mendocino County's pandemic response. Uh, And the phone number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. If you have questions for Dr. Corrin about the coronavirus or the county's response, welcome, Dr. Corrin. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Alicia. It's nice to to talk with you. Um, It has been a huge week, both locally and statewide, for coronavirus. I don't know if we're hitting milestones or speed bumps or what's going on, but can you get us caught up? Yeah, so it's been an exciting week. Our case rate is today down to 1.78 cases per 100,000 with a seven-day average and a seven-day lag. So that is as low as I've seen it since I've been working on this, uh, and our test positivity uh, rate is down to 1.2%, also the lowest that I've seen it. Uh, We were coming down nicely and probably would have been in the orange by next week, Uh, but the state was successful in distributing 4 million extra doses to the people in the lowest resourced areas in our state, and so the governor changed the thresholds of moving from one tier to another, so we were moved very quickly to orange and uh, many other counties have done the same move to better uh, to better tiers and um, I think there's only about four or five who are still in the red tier so we're we're doing very well um, hospitalized at this point in the county are four people at mid surge none in the intensive care unit there is one person hospitalized out of county in med surge we had two cases yesterday that were reported two new cases We have no outbreaks going on at this time. Uh, The one that was uh, going on for a while at Ukiah Post Acute is resolved at this point. The total number of cases so far in our county are 3,966, with 1,985 of them coming from the Hispanic community, uh, which is 50%. Uh, And it's too high, but we're getting down very slowly. Uh, In isolation, we have 14 uh, people, and in quarantine are 36. We have unfortunately lost a total of 47 people to this uh, pandemic, and we mourn their loss. Our testing uh, has been going on in Ukiah from Saturday to Thursday, Fort Bragg on Tuesdays at the VA, and we're now rotating uh, between all of the major cities in in the uh, county. Uh, Vaccines, we have 30%. um, Oh, I'm sorry. The, the number of vaccines that we received this week is going down by 30% because the feds have had to cut the state by 30%. And that's mostly because of the problems that they've had um, with the manufacturer at one plant of Johnson & Johnson and also because there's uh, some very significant surges going on in the Midwest in Minnesota and in Wisconsin and in the east and north in the northeast. And so in order to try and uh, combat those surges, the feds are redirecting some of their their vaccines there. So we're going to give up a little bit so that the rest of the United States is staying healthy. Um, So there are probably a lot of questions about going to the orange tier and what that means. so should I should I go ahead and, and just briefly summarize some of them? Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, it's it's a lot. So retail, including shopping centers, um, can be open without capacity li limits. Uh, there shouldn't be central areas and food areas in the shopping centers that are open. Uh, restaurants, museums, movie theaters, places of worship are now up to 50% capacity. Um, gyms and fitness centers are open now to 25%, and indoor pools are open for the first time in many months. Wineries, breweries, distilleries are open indoors now at 25% capacity, and bars with food, who are serving food, uh, behave like restaurants. If no food, they have to be outdoors. Oh, I'm going to go down a bit. Um, family entertainment, including bowling alleys, are now going to be open indoors at 25% capacity. Card rooms and satellite wages, wagering indoors at 25%. Offices, we still encourage uh, doing telework if possible, but it, they can be open if necessary. Uh, some big news is that uh, there's there's new um, instructions uh, that have been that have been uh, released. Uh, some for now, and some starting in a week from now on the 15th. So let me go through those outdoor live events. These are with assigned seats, like sports and performances. There has to be weekly worker testing program. It's open for people from in state. Uh, at 35%, and if all people are tested uh, or have proof of vaccination, the capacity limit goes up to 67%. Um, and this is important. This is a new thing that the state is recognizing that we can have more people uh, in these uh, venues if people are fully tested and if they're fully vaccinated. So these are some rewards uh, that we're gaining from, from good behavior, let's put it that way. Uh, In-seat concessions um, are uh, are the only kind of concessions at this point because of uh, the importance of not congregating around a central concession. Gatherings is a big one. Uh, still less than three households, but they can be indoors. It's discouraged, but they can be indoors. Hopefully with the good weather, you can get together with your families outside. Don't do it unless you absolutely have to, but you can do it. Yeah, yeah we really want to go on this trajectory because, you know, we could go backwards. On April 15th, the uh, maximum for gatherings outdoors is 50 people. Indoors is still discouraged, and then no food or drink uh, should be served. There's, uh, let's see, there's private events as well. These are like conferences, receptions, meetings. These are with ticketed guests, just like it was for outdoor live events, ticketed. And uh, there should be assigned seating, no mixing of people and different events. But the, um, the capacity limit is now up to 25%. And on April 15th, uh, the outdoor private events maximum goes to 100. Um, and with full vaccine or proof of testing, 300. Wow. Indoors, huh. these these events, yeah, these private events indoors, starting on April 15th, um, are up to 150 people max. If they are, if there's proof of all people being tested or getting vaccinated, are these like weddings and and things like that? Conferences? What, what kind of events? Conferences, are receptions, and meetings for the private events. And these are, yeah. but but continuing to be masked. Yes. Yeah. Masking is not going to go away soon. 
We're going to get all vaccinated. We'll be all prevented. But this, the basic personal protection that masks give us and the protection of the people around us is not going away. And we don't know enough about the efficacy of the vaccines that we want to give that up. It's the cheapest, easiest. I know it's a pain in the mouth for a lot of people, but it is, uh, but it is an excellent way to protect ourselves and our neighbors. And so we're, you know, so we're still going to be wearing masks for a good while now until we have more experience. And are all of these uh, kind of rules about the relaxing of the the tightest restrictions? So now, like how to have gatherings in, indoors and outdoors, and how many, and you know, incentives for showing proof of vaccination and things like that. Is this all coming from the state uh, Department of Health, of Public yes. Health? Yeah. So they're, they're writing the guidances based on lots of smart people looking at all the data and uh, figuring out from other experiences what makes sense, what are high-risk activities, what are low-risk activities, and how should we gradually open. So we don't make the mistake of last spring of saying, oh, we're over this, let's just open. There's a lot to be learned. So as we go in this stepwise way, uh, all this data is being collected, and as we see things turn around, and they could. So the state did tell us that it's a little harder to go backwards now to, to um, lower tiers uh, and, than it was, you know, months ago. But nevertheless, if we start seeing a rise in the cases, uh, if we see a rise in the test positivity, and if we see a rise in the numbers of hospitalizations, those will be very serious, you know, uh, alerts to us that something bad is going on. And how can it go on? Well, it can go on because we don't know about exactly how well these vaccines are going to work in the long run. Uh, and we also don't know what's going to happen with the variants. It really is a race with the variants. So we're really trying to get those vaccines out so everybody's going to be uh, protected. One of the big things that's happening for folks in Mendocino County these days is that uh, the kids have gone back to school. Yeah, so it's great. Can you talk about uh, your, I guess, your role or what you've seen about um, how things are going this first? I mean, my son's back to school in high school for full days for the first time this week. So, And I don't know what all the other school districts are doing, but at least I know in Ukiah High School is back. So how is that going? Have you had any reports of cases? Are you able to test people? I imagine that um, having families back or having kids back, meaning families are now reconnected with the schools, would make it maybe easier to reach people for things like testing and vaccination as well. Yeah, we can put the information out, and we are, um, as I think you were mentioning before, um, working on a campaign to vaccinate the the uh, 16 to 18-year-old high schoolers and their families. Uh, so, you know, we will utilize the organization and, and all the wonderful people that have been working on this within the school system. I have heard only good things. I mean, when we fir- the first week or two that people were going back to work, there was a few cases here and there. There was a teacher here and a student there. None of them turned into any kind of epi- epidemiologically linked groups or clusters that we would call an outbreak. So we didn't have any outbreaks at all. Uh, they're in full swing with their sports in Ukiah, and I haven't heard any problems with that. Though that's also a group that, um, from statewide and nationwide data, team seems to be a little bit more susceptible. So we have to see how it goes, and that's why we're doing it slowly but surely and watching also uh apparently governor newsom decided that we're done with the pandemic by june 15th (laughs) 
Like everything's you know, going to open I would up. Say that. <laughs> what is he that? Decided, he decided, and it's not just him alone. It, it is the California Department of Public Health and the, the uh, professionals in that organization and, and elsewhere in the state and, and the nation that we should be vaccinated enough that the tier system that we've had for the last, boy, it's now almost, well, by then it'll be eight months. Too long. Uh, <laughs> that we, we really don't need to do those tiers anymore. And that's the issue. He doesn't want to have statewide restrictions. I see. Um, and so they're saying beyond the blueprint, it's not that the it's not that this pandemic is over. There's still very significant threats. I mean, the variants that we do have in California that were born here are uh, a little bit of a problem, and they're the majority variants. But we do have the uh, variants from uh, the UK B. Uh, 117 and even there are some few that have been identified of Africa and of the uh, Brazilian strains which are more problematic in terms of their resistance to therapeutics and even some resistance to vaccines. So you know there are still threats lying ahead we want all the gains we've made by people learning what's safe and what's not safe to keep on everybody needs to keep that in their in their hearts and that's really important we have to protect each other and that's what we've learned through all this but the vaccines give us a good head a good leg up on that so yeah well let's talk about the vaccines mendocino county has done an absolutely bang up job of vaccinating a huge percentage of the population who's eligible and now uh the eligibility is expanding this week it was um people over 50 and starting yep. the 15th, it's going to be anyone over 16 for Pfizer, and I guess 18 for Moderna. But anyone who's eligible um, basically can go can go get it. Simultaneously, though, like you said, our vaccine allocation is reduced. So how right. uh, how are you managing those two kind of tensions? The the groups. And the, the tiers that we had for eligible groups were developed in order to make sure that the distribution of this valuable resource was equitable among uh, people who, you know, were usually lower resource, uh, the minorities and in in, in the, in the poor in our, in our communities. And so it was very necessary to sort of gradually open it up to those who were the most vulnerable. If you remember, the first people were the folks in nursing homes and health and the healthcare workers they were coming directly in contact or they were very very vulnerable and from there we went to other emergency service workers and other essential workers uh, all the way through the list because not only we needed them as essential workers but there was a predominance of people who were you know from minority groups in our county mostly uh, hispanic and so that was very necessary and what we're doing now in the latter part of the uh, vaccination campaign is I don't want to use targeting as a, as a term, but but we are sort of focusing our efforts and support uh, for those groups continuing. Uh, and we've made decisions on that basis along with our uh, ethics committee from the county. And But now we're going to be able to say, okay, everybody's eligible. Let's get everybody in. And we're doing much more uh, informational, educational campaigns trying to encourage those communities to make use of the vaccines that we have. You had an event this week at uh, in Talmadge at MCOE, uh, which was new. Um, it was Mendocino County Office of Education. They have a campus out there by the city of 10,000 Buddhas on Old River Road. How did that go? 
who was the who were you encouraging to come and and how did how did it go well i think it went well i don't have the final numbers back yet but uh um glenn mcgurdy our supervisor for that district actually went door to door and and told people that it was going to be open uh and it really was an outreach to that community which is predominantly uh hispanic and also to agricultural workers which he has had a long history of working with so it's great that we're able to focus those efforts and support those people we're going to be doing more of that kind of thing and it was a johnson Uh, and johnson clinic right so the one shot deal that's right and what about, uh, do you have a calendar for the vaccine events coming up this week, even though the allocation's about 30% less, as you said? Are there are you going to be giving yeah. shots this week? There are. So from the county, now the clinics have their own, but I'm going to tell you what the county vaccine um, uh, events are going to be. So on Monday the 12th and on Wednesday the 14th at the fairgrounds, We're going to have first dose Pfizer's and in Willits on the 13th, we're going to have first dose Pfizer's and that's going to be at the high school. No, sorry. uh, At the community center and in Fort Bragg on the 14th, there's going to be first dose Pfizer's and that is going to be at the high school. What day was the Fort Bragg first dose? That's the 14th, which is the Wednesday. Okay, that's at the high school in Fort Bragg? Yeah. So we've got quite a number of clinics yeah. that are going on this week. And uh, and they are first dose. This is the first time we've been able to have first dose in many weeks. Um, one of the unfortunate things that's happened is, for some reason or another, the, um, the uh, Adventist hospitals have just not been getting the number of doses they usually have, and they were giving out a lot of, of uh, doses of uh, vaccine. I think they've done... You know, somewhere in the range of twenty-three to twenty-five thousand doses in this county, which is great. Amazing. Yeah. Right, and I, I talked with them last week, and they said that they were covering the second doses, but sure. some they were having to borrow doses. They were having to go looking right. for doses. So, it doesn't sound like they're going to be doing a lot of first dose uh, vaccinations coming up, unless the the no. allocations really well, change. What I'm hoping is that they're going to turn more over to their clinics um, because people trust their primary care providers. And so if we can make it as routine as getting a tetanus shot or a flu shot, uh, that'll be a way to get to a lot of people who are really still worried about uh, getting a shot or uh, worried about the government uh, giving them some kind of chemical or, you know, some of the other things. And this way, they're able to talk face to face with their provider and get a vaccine before they walk out the door. It's very, very important. Right. All of the infrastructure that already exists that people are familiar with has um, has really stepped up and just outdone. Everybody's outdone themselves from the clinics to the hospital to public health. I know it's a real shift for you, well, coming on as the public health officer, but also the role of public health during this pandemic has just really, it's been a, a total sea change in what you do, what people expect from you. But in the years previous, public health has been absolutely underfunded, defunded, almost hollowed out. So, right. you know, one of the things that's that's so interesting is to think about how you move forward now that all of these really robust connections and networks and collaborations for our public or for our health infrastructure here in the county have really grown. 
Um, do, do you think about that? Like what the how you're going to kind of as the wave of the pandemic recedes, how uh, what we're going to be left with in terms of a health infrastructure? Well, I think, you know, public health has always been important. Uh, and usually it's been peripheralized and ghettoized. It's only for poor people. And now we're seeing how it's an important support for the entire community. And so a lot of extra funds were put in, but the recognition of the, of the uh, power of public health and, the, uh, you know, and, the, and the, the value of public health and the intention has really come out. And I think one of the lessons that we've learned, and the reason why Mendocino County has been successful is because of the partnerships we've built that you were just talking about. I mean, we're really working very closely with the clinics. Uh, we also de- developed a promotorist model this year uh, to reach out to communities, and that was very successful and is being refunded uh, for this next year. And we're learning from that, and hopefully we'll be able to expand it and improve it. But that is an important an important thing. What's a promotorist uh, so I think these model? are lessons moving forward. Yeah, what is that, a promotorist model? It seems like it's a real step forward for us uh, as a county, but probably nobody knows what it is. <laughs> okay, well, it's great. It's a, it's a uh, group of, of individuals from the community. They're Hispanic, and, and uh, they were uh, selected because we needed to outreach to the Hispanic community. And uh, basically, promotoris is a model of community health workers. And we need community health workers because... Um, these big bureaucracies, ourselves included, don't always know what's needed in the communities. And uh, promotoris can be both flexible, but can also be perceptive and, uh, and let us know where we need to move. And they've given us a lot of advice uh, in the last several months, and we've been able to take up on, on many of those. And together, we've, we've really moved things forward. We've learned from it, and uh, the next year's iteration will probably be much improved. So it's like a, a, a community, it's a team of community members whose job is to look out for the health of people in the community. Right. Well, they know people. And, uh, and for example, it was very difficult to make appointments for testing or for vaccinations. And they actually helped many, many people with that specifically, but they also helped telling us in the clinics Hey, you need to do this. You need to do, we need more of that. And, and they helped and they created their own literature and uh, videos and so on and so forth. Very talented people. And uh, they made that available. I mean, they, they, the, our team was small uh, and it only reached through, it was funded for Willits, but really reached up to Laytonville with some of their activities and certainly into, into Ukiah. Um, but it's that being embedded in the community and being valued by the county and the clinics that gives them the incredible power to make us all stronger. And they've been now funded for the next year by the county? They've been refunded. I think it's for a year, but it may be only six months. Okay, so there, some next some next phase, the Promotores model is going to continue in the county and, and possibly deepen and expand. Yes, so, okay, well, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines for folks. I'm really, really glad that you're here, Dr. Corin. It's great to hear from um, from the amazing folks in the county who are responsible at the helm of our pandemic response. Uh, we've talked with the people organizing the vaccine clinics and, of course, the DOC manager and all of that. But people really often have questions that 
only a doctor should answer, <laughs> truly. So um, so we're going to open up the phone lines and people can call in. It's 895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. Uh, and we're on the phone here with her on the Zoom with Dr. Andy Corin, who's the public health officer for Mendocino County um, in charge of the county's response to this pandemic, or at least to the, the public health side of the response. Um, definitely managing the incredibly successful vaccination campaign. And there's been a lot of work or a lot of news this week about Mendocino County. We have uh, gone kind of lightning quickly through the red tier, the state's red tier into the orange tier, which has meant that uh, we've had a by degrees, but quickly um, relaxing some of the more restrictive uh, rules that were in place to keep the coronavirus from spreading in our communities. We've had schools reopening. Um, We've got testing sites that are still active through the county and mobile testing units that are uh, traveling through the county on uh, on Fridays. And um, We've got, you know, some of the infrastructure that has been put in place for the county's response, like the contact tracing um, is starting to uh, sort of, I don't know, get smaller. There's less work for those teams to do. So um, kind of reprioritizing. Let's hear from our first caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, Yeah. Um, Instead of going into why... I would just like to say I'm one of those never-vacciners. But I've had all my life vaccines, everything. I just don't trust this one. Can Dr. Cohen try and explain to me why it's okay? Well, you know, first I'd like to hear why you're a never-vax. You're a never, I don't know what you said, but never-vaxer. Why do you dislike the vaccines? Well, doesn't a normal vaccine take four to eight years? And this one was made. See, I see it like this. We, people made this, this virus, and then all of a sudden they made the vaccine real quick. That seems a little bit of coincidental to me, like something was already planned. I hate to sound too conspiratorial, but there's, <laughs> there's just something going on here. Yeah. I see a big sign. I drive a truck. I see a big sign all over Sacramento. Crush the virus. Wear your mask. Trust the vaccine. Why should there be a problem? There's just too many questions over it. They made it from RNA. They didn't make it the normal way. And when Trump was doing it, everybody put him down for it. But now it's a wonderful thing all of a sudden. There's just too many opposites going on here for me to make sense of it. Well, let me let me try and respond here. Uh, and first, let's take the politics out of it and put a little more science into it, because science is supposed to be a little bit more objective. Uh, it uses data and it uses observation and, and tries to come up with answers that are reproducible and can help us in the future. So if we start with the science, the first thing I would I would say is it by many, many international organizations and uh and I'm not talking about political organizations, but medical organizations, it's very clear that this was not a laboratory-developed virus. So there's that's one piece of misinformation that needs to be corrected. This is really one of those viruses that jumped from uh, animals to humans, and this happens all the time. There's a whole specialty uh, devoted to uh, human diseases that have jumped 
from the animal kingdom. And when they do, they bring lots of different characteristics with them. And so many of them are benign. They, they're not a problem, but then there are some difficult ones. And that's why we have a World Health Organization, because in order to address those, um, those jumping and changing um, uh, in uh, germs, we need to understand them. And so the World Health Organization gets involved. As a matter of fact, the latest that I've read, the, the uh, COVID virus didn't even start in, uh, in China. It started in one of the European countries. But it did migrate to China and then and then took off wherever it started. Um, th so the question is, why did it happen so fast? It's a very vicious virus. Um, and how did we develop such a um, such a vaccine so quickly? Um, one reason is that the Chinese, when they discovered it, uh, did their own genome sequencing. Remember, genome sequencing has only been around for a few years. Um, and they did their genome sequencing, and they did something that's very unusual uh, in the world in, uh, today, and that is they released that genome, in other words, that, that um, formula of what was, the, what was in the DNA or, uh, of this germ so that multiple countries and multiple organizations could work on developing a vaccine. And what happened with this was for the first time, and in a huge way, uh, private corporations, governmental agencies, international organizations cooperated in developing vaccines. So it does take a long time to develop vaccines the old way because you have to isolate it, then you have to grow it, then you have to figure out um, how to change the germ so that it, if you inject it in a person, or part of it in a person, it causes immunity, but it doesn't cause infection. Dr. Doudna called the code breaker. Pardon? Have you seen that? There's a new book out. I forgot the lady's name or the guy that wrote it, but it's about Dr. Doudna, who discovered CRISPR eight years ago. And uh -huh. I haven't got too far into the book, but I think they used CRISPR to make this vaccine, and that scares the hell out of me. Um, engineering DNA and RNA to make new medicines, but that's what they did to make the damn virus. So, the The virus is naturally occurring, but what they were able to do was harness the knowledge of DNA at this point and uh, take parts of the viral DNA that code for the outside wrapper the envelope uh that uh is that invades the cell that allows it to invade the cell and that is a good target for our immune system so you're able to take that little portion of of uh of rna and put that into a uh, system that goes into the body and the body actually replicates itself that part of the viral envelope and from that, the body's immune system creates immunity. It, it, it uh, sees that new protein, and it creates uh, immune globulins, and that can attack it. So this is a brand new technology, and it turns out that doing that does not require the numbers of cells, or even any cells, to grow uh, to, to develop the vaccine itself. And you don't have to change the virus or the carrier 
of that uh, antigen, which is what you call, you know, the uh, the thing we're putting into the body. Um, yeah. And and so you don't need all of that. And and this is a very new scientific development. It's been used in some other vaccines, but not in humans before. But once they understood that they could do that with with this germ, um, manufacturing cooperatively developed all over the world. And so the mRNA vi- uh, vaccine vaccine is a huge jump in technology and that's why it was able to be done so quickly uh there was cooperation there was cooperation around the world to understand uh the dna there's cooperation around the world to develop these new mrna uh vaccines there's still some other beginning of the program today that you said something about waiting two or three years to see if it's going to work and keep immunizing people for that long a time They've never done this before, so it's like everybody that's getting this vaccine is kind of a guinea pig because they're not exactly sure what's going to happen. As well, well, you know what? Not just there's, there's, there's a lot of them, truth but, in what they're saying. What if it does something else down the road to them? Well, that's part of the phase one and phase two testing programs that this vaccine was put through. And it was put through in the same way with the same rigor as any other vaccine or medicine would be. In fact, a lot of vaccines get released to the public that have only been tested on 10,000 people. And these were vac- these vaccines were tested on 30,000 people before they were released. And when they're released, remember that uh, this did not uh, obtain a full FDA approval. It obtained an emergency use approval. That's an EUA. And that is important because people need to know that, yes, there's a lot about the vaccine we do not know. And we have to be honest about that. But the more we use it, and they've in the United States, uh, there have been uh, 100 million uses of it. And the more they use it, the less they find that they're worried about. Uh, you know, you've heard all the things that we worry about, and there's lots of things to worry about. But the more you use it, the more confidence you build also. So... As the confidence has built, then the manufacturing capability has been built up, and we're now able to use this lifesaver. I mean, look at what's happened to our numbers. Look at what's happened to our numbers. We have really successfully beat this thing down a bit. Now, do we know everything about it? We don't know that it will be effective for, now it's been around at least since the phase three trials, for six months. So we think, okay, this is six months, and it's probably more immunity and longer immunity than getting the virus itself and developing immunity. We know that. Do we know a year from now or six months from now? No, the virus wasn't around that long and the vaccine hasn't been around that long. So we need to, we need to live it and experience it. Do we want to live it and experience it with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying? No, that's why the emergency what we did. Uh, authorization is given. Right. So I think we're going forward. It, it is, it sounds risky, but we're plotting forward with good good information and good data gathering. And we're going slowly, uh, but not slowly enough to risk the more hundreds of thousands of lives that we lost last year. All right. Thank you for that call, caller. And I know that you're not alone in your questions and they're good questions, but there's a couple of things I think that we need to revisit about what the caller said. And one is about the CRISPR gene and, and gene editing and, and the role of gene editing in the both the creation of the virus and also in the vac- the mRNA vaccines. And I don't think that CRISPR or gene editing had any role in either of those. Is that correct? Not that I know of, no. The only thing they were able to do was extract a part 
of the genome from the virus in order to replicate that. And that was in order to tell our bodies what proteins we need to make uh, in, uh, uh, um, antibodies to. They say that um, that you need to repeat a message on the radio eight times before people really hear it and take action. At least that's what we're told about fundraising and our pledge drives and things like that. That's why we're saying our phone numbers a lot. Um, but listening to the, the description of how the mRNA works, I think I must be at time eight because I'm finally understanding uh, in a way that I that I never really got before that the, that the mRNA strand that's in the vaccine, that it actually, it, it gets our body to produce the protein. Is that right? Yeah. So it, our body is the one. So well, we're not getting any, uh, any kind of virus in us at all. We're getting a, a strand that gets our body to produce the protein. And then that is what our body responds to for the immune response. Is that right? That's exactly right. So it's really uh, taking a little bit of the code that, uh, that tells the virus or whatever it is to make a piece of the outside of the virus. And it's like a gun. It's, it, and, it, and it shows the, the body a piece of the gun so that the body can fight that piece, can take it apart, dismantle it, make it uh, un, unavailable. And so that's what it's doing. So then when the virus does invade, it recognizes that invasive, it's, you know, it's called the spike protein. So I use the gun, but it's the spike protein. That's what attaches to our cells and invades the cells uh, with its own DNA. And so that, that's how this works. So you've got it. So that that now I guess I am starting to understand how it's very different from previous vaccines, right. which would use kind of a, 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 a attenuated version of the virus itself. Or, well, there are a number of ways that they create vaccines, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a vaccinologist. You know, I'm a, a GP, a family practitioner. Um, but you know, the the um, some of the original vaccines against our, uh, you know, for example, smallpox. They used a related cowpox, which is not as, you know, it doesn't make you sick, doesn't kill you. Um, and then they were able to, with other germs, to attenuate or change the germ so that it was less likely to cause the disease that you want to fight. But you had to breed all those attenuated genes. And that's where, I'm sorry, attenuated vi uh, bacteria or viruses, you had to breed them in something. And so you bred them in a laboratory, and then you took them out and extracted them, and you actually put these viruses in people. And, uh, and the people, you recognize the virus and develop immunity to it. But you're taking some risks, and there have been escapes. So for polio, there was an escape, and there are, you know, there are polio vaccine epidemics that have happened. More often, much more often, people are getting polio now if they get it at all because they're not vaccinated because it's a vaccine-preventable disease. Uh, but there have been a lot of different ways to create um, immunity in people, and this is novel. This is very, very new, because what we're doing is we're telling the body, here's the stuff that makes the stuff that kills you. Okay, So make it a little so that you can recognize it and you can stop it before it kills you. And even though it's new, it, it sounds kind of cleaner and safer than vaccines that have come before really like it sounds like it's a super good idea you know it's just amazing that it's actually working 
<laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. But again, it has to be tested and tested in the lab and tested in people for a long time before they're sure. And so, you know, all things new are not bad. Um, and this one has turned out to give us a lot of power very quickly, and hopefully it'll last for a long time. All right, let's uh, let's put out the phone number again. It's 707-895-2448, 707-895-2448. This is KZYX. We're here with the local coronavirus update. Our Friday update concentrates on the county's response. And today we have with us Dr. Andy Korn, who's our public health officer here in Mendocino County, uh, who has his finger on the pulse of all of the different aspects of the county's response to the coronavirus update and has been leading the response response um since you came on six or seven months ago let's take our august next, august end of august eight months wow Whew, that flew by hello caller you hey. are live on the air oh yeah i had a question about uh um i got the moderna second moderna and i was sick for i was sick for about five days if someone suggested that i may have caught covid right at the same time um, I'll take my answer off there. All right. Thanks for that question, caller. Sorry you were sick. Yeah, well, you know, if you get it right after you get the vaccine, the most likely thing is that it's a vaccine reaction, and that happens. And usually that reaction shows that your body is really making a, uh, a, a big response to the, to, the, uh, to the vaccine. And so that's, that's what causes the, the uh, symptoms most of the time. Um, the suggestion that you actually caught COVID at the same time is a possibility. We wouldn't know that until you got tested. So the testing, and this is, this is a, a point that's worthwhile making a few times, testing should go on even after you've been vaccinated. The vaccine does not affect your response uh, to the testing. So the testing would show whether you've had the virus or have not had the virus and, and the, uh, the vaccination uh, does not affect that response. So that's, it would be that simple to figure it out. Now, if you've gone many weeks or months, the testing might be negative just because you know, you've, you've uh, gotten past the point where there's antigens uh, in your system to test. But uh, that would have been the thing to do at the time. Do you have it in front of you how many people uh, in Mendocino County have been vaccinated? Do you have Ooh, those numbers? I do. I do have it in more or less in front of me. And there in, we go. So, yeah. go so I can tell you this. Um, as of April 7th, which is uh, two days ago, we downloaded this information. The total vaccines administered in Mendocino County was 60,684. And at least one, people who had at least one dose of a vaccine uh, numbered 35,215. So half of the population of Mendocino County that's eligible has gotten vaccinated. And most of those people, you know, have had uh, the full vaccination series. But even if even the ones who've had one vaccine have a very high degree of, uh, of immunity to the virus. So it's a good number. And so that makes us at 50%. And if you look at some of the state statistics, it's significantly lower. Yeah, what are we, like third in the state or something? Uh, I don't know if it's that high, but we're pretty close to, you know, to there. We're yeah. in the top 10. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, um, the phone number here, the phone lines are open. It's 707-895-2448. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Andy Corin, our public health officer here in Mendocino County, uh, for questions about uh, what the orange tier might mean uh, as businesses in the county start to reopen after this long, long period of closure uh, since March 18th of 2020. Um, Also, uh, we've got expanding vaccination eligibility, and I know people have questions about the vaccine itself, um, and uh, but also questions about how to get it. If you are local here in Mendocino County, how can you sign up and how can you get your shot? Let's take our next caller and then maybe we can get back to that. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I had a question. Um, So I've had both shots and then the cdc said that you can travel um so i wanted to talk about that i know that you know i've got a good chance of of getting it a very uh small case should i get it but i wanted to ask about traveling with uh little ones so because obviously you know uh under five-year-old is not going to have the vaccine yet so if you guys could speak to that point and the safety of it i'd appreciate it thanks so much i'll take my answer off the air okay so if you've had two shots of either the moderna or pfizer or one shot of the uh, johnson johnson and you wait two weeks then we consider you fully vaccinated and i think that's the question that you're asking what do i do about travel well with travel there are still concerns and in california we don't we appreciate what the CDC says, uh, but we don't necessarily go exactly by what the CDC says. We have our own California Department of Public Health that issues its own guidance and, and orders. Um, we, we do recognize people will travel, and it's not recommended, but if you have to travel, um, then you, know, you should check for sure uh, with, uh, um, with your travel agent or online um, whether where where you're traveling certainly out of the country or even within the country is a place of really high uh, prevalence and if there's a high prevalence of the uh, variants that uh, is still an issue your children can't be vaccinated as you said um, so they are susceptible luckily children don't get the illness as severely as adults do but they can transmit it. So they could transmit it, you know, coming back to relatives or to others in the house and that sort of thing. So we're really saying it's best not to travel, postpone it for a while. Um, And, but if you do travel, then what we want people to do is uh, get tested a couple of two, three days before they travel. And when they return, they should be tested within three to five days after returning and then should be on quarantine uh, for seven days, or if they have been vaccinated, can be, uh, or if they have not been vaccinated or tested, uh, ten days. Um, so we are saying that still in California because travel does uh, create a risk. There's a lot more variants circulating in many other states and certainly in other countries that could uh, could present a problem in the future. All right, we have an email question. Um, it's uh 
Why should states and municipalities that are honoring masking, distancing, and general good health practices be punished with lower vaccine deliveries because states and municipalities and politicians in certain locales are supporting poor health practices and denying the need to protect from COVID-19? Uh, and I guess that's that's a reference to the fact that we're getting fewer allocations because there are states that are experiencing a surge and are, are getting um, the vaccine allocated that way. Yeah. So, you know, this is this is hard to swallow. I can understand the uh, the uh, person who wrote in and their concerns about it. Um, remember that it's not punishment. We are all trying to save as many lives nationwide, worldwide, statewide, countywide as we possibly can. And so the the response of the federal government is we have this amount of life saving vaccines. Um, and this group in, you know, in terms of states is uh, undergoing a, a big surge at this point. What can we do to help them? California has been doing very well in rolling out our vaccines. Uh, we've been doing well with testing and so on and so forth. But the other states could be running into a major surge. And I think that's the motivation for changing the allocations. Did that answer the question, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the idea that it's punishment, you know, it it does kind of seem like if there was a linear relationship between all of the things that we talked about this on Monday, all of the measures that um, governments are taking to protect people, you know, then you could say, well, you're not really, you know, if you're not requiring masking or if you're opening up too quickly and your rates are going up, why should why should everybody be sending vaccines? But it's not that simple, right? It's not that um, they're behaving badly and they're getting more cases. So now we all have to send vaccines to them because they're they're being irresponsible. It's it, it's not like that, right? Well, it's not punitive. It's not as a res- response to them not doing anything. Clearly, I would say that they're not being good neighbors because they're letting the virus spread within their communities. But their communities, in a larger sense, is our community. And so we want to make sure we take care of everybody we can. Right. And maybe people within those communities who are doing everything they can to protect themselves and their neighbors um, are still subject to maybe um, some backward policies of politicians. And, you know, they don't... They don't deserve to have, you know, no access to vaccines because of that or, or whatever. So, right. yeah. Okay, let's take another call. And that, you know, that's an important lesson also. And I think we've really learned that in a big way here in the United States, for sure, uh, of the reason to take the politics out of dealing with this kind of health care crisis. It, it doesn't work. Um, it's not tit for tat. This is a worldwide pandemic. And any, any side of the world that's getting sick is a potential threat to us. And so we want to cure it worldwide. All right. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, just in case people didn't know, I um, got my vaccine a couple nights ago at uh, Rite Aid in Willits. And you just go to RiteAid.com and um, did that on Monday night and had an appointment for Wednesday night. And, and it's the Johnson & Johnson. Great. Was that in Fort Bragg or Ukiah? Where was that? Willits. Willits. In Willits. All right. And I mean, I, you know, I can't say that they still have doses, but I would imagine they would. How did you get signed up for that? Did you just go to the Rite Aid Willits website and click refresh a bunch of times? <laughs> no, I, um, 
I actually walked in last Friday just on a whim and said, you know what, do you guys have vaccines? And he said, we'll be starting on Tuesday. And he said, just go to RiteAid.com. Wow, a success story. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, and also, um, I've been listening religiously to your program since the beginning. And I have to say that uh, the gentleman a few calls ago, uh, the skeptic, I think he said he's a trucker, that was... That was the best call I've heard this whole time because most most everybody that calls in is like myself and uh, you know gets, I gets vaccinated and agrees with it and you know I get everything from the flu shot to shingles and all that and he was concerned and um, but you could tell he he was using his brain and you could tell he was thinking you know I I, I really think I might want to do this and I want more information. And I thought you guys just did a tremendous job at, at easing his mind. And I hope he feels that way. And I hope that he does get it and, and talks to other folks that are like-minded like him. And, um, I was just, I, he should be commended for, for his, for his call. Yep. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. Thank you. That's what we're doing yeah. here. That's why we're here. We want to no, that, encourage people to talk about this stuff and, and get good information. Yeah, yeah, it's rare that you hear somebody call in like that, and I thought it was great. Well, great, and thank you for and calling thank- in. That was a really valuable piece of information for people that they can just sign up at RiteAid.com or walk in and get information from local pharmacies about how they can get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So that's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's well, a maturing of this pandemic that we're – We've been able to do a huge amount with these, what we call mass vaccination events, which is what you do with tremendous pandemic epidemics. Um, But we're trying to normalize it also so that we want the doctors in their own offices to be able to give it as part of a a normal doctor's visit. And we want it to be available in our corner drugstores because that's how people are going to get their vaccines. That's what they're doing nowadays. So it was just to roll out. Uh, initially and to, to stem this terrible flood of, of illness that we, we had to get involved with these mass vaccine clinics. So I'm glad you were able to take advantage of the Rite Aid, um, uh, the Rite Aid uh, stock and, and get in there. There are going to be some others, CVS, I think here in, in uh, Ukiah may offer it, and there's others uh, around that are, that are starting to, to get them out. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Thank you, guys. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, in the couple minutes that we have left, we have about three minutes left. Can you talk about that? How Get people the information about how they can get vaccinated so that there's no obstacle. If people want it, they can, they can find out how to get it. Well, as you said, uh, next week uh, on the 15th, there are going to be no age or occupational or other barriers. Um, so we are going to have... Uh, uh, our efforts reaching out, but if you're somebody who wants a vaccine uh, in the county, the county clinic uh, vac- uh, vaccine program uses my turn. That's m y t u r n dot c a dot gov to make your uh, appointments online or the phone for the same for the same. Uh, uh, platform is 833-422-4255. 
And so that's my turn. And it's available online or by phone in English, in Spanish, and about 12 other languages. Uh, you can also call our uh, COVID, the county COVID call center, which is uh, for, let me see, 472-2663. Um, I just want to double check myself on that. Oops, I'm wrong. It's uh, 472-2759. 472-2759. And another group that's assisting people to make vaccine appointments is uh, North Coast Opportunity, NCO, and their phone number is uh, 707-467-7239, uh, or you can fax Text. Uh, to 209-7161. And put in the in the uh, not facts. I'm sorry, text. <laughs> and put in the uh, in the text. NC, NCO vax vax. Right. So those are ways. And then your community clinics. If you're a a um, patient of a community clinic or want to become a patient of a community clinic, call one of the clinics uh, around around the county, uh, from Red Coast Medical Service to uh, Mendocino Coast uh, Clinic to Anderson Valley Clinic. Uh, to Laytonville, uh, Round Valley Indian Health Service, and uh, Consolidated with Tribal, if you're uh, from Native American background. Lord, did Beck I never Creek. think any of these would become household names, but I, like yeah. you, can rattle off our local federally qualified health centers at this point as well. There's, there's one more I don't want to look, and that's MCHC. Mendocino Coast yeah, but I think I put them all, I hope. Yep. All right, well, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much, Dr. Andy Corin, for your time today, for making, uh, giving us all this great information and also for making yourself available to callers. Can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with Dr. Drew Colfax and the local coronavirus update from 3 to 4. Uh, thank you all for listening and for your calls. Stay tuned now for Democracy Now! You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.